We started Facily back in 2018, very inspired by many social commerce platforms from China. There were a few companies that were having tremendous acceleration and reaching customers very fast and, and driving very low prices for end consumers because of the, the vital strategy that they were using. We got excited with that. And, and so we started building this model at the end of 2018. Since then, lots of learnings we have been able to bring to the platform. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hi, everyone. So happy to have our next guest, Diego Zordan, the co-founder and CEO of Facily, the leading social commerce marketplace in Brazil. Before starting Facily, Diego worked for Facebook and Instagram as a VP of LATAM. He spent 10 years at SAP, where he focused on driving growth across countries by strengthening the relationships with customers and working with them to innovate and deliver business value. Diego, it's so good to have you on the show. It's great to see you virtually after we met in person. Welcome. Thank you so much, Mala, for having us here. First of all, we were talking about your funding and congrats on your recent round. It's been, you know, a really awesome journey. Tell us a bit about how you built Facility about and about your like growth journey so far. We started Facility back in 2018, very inspired by many social commerce platforms from China. There were there were a few companies that were having tremendous acceleration and reaching customers very fast and, and driving very low prices for end consumers because of the, the vital strategy that they were using. We got really excited with that. And, and so we started building this model model at the end of 2018. Since then, lots of learnings we, we were able to bring to the platform. Learnings, I would say, means lots of failures. <laughs> and, and, you know, and unfortunately, we were able in some cases to, to revert them. But for example, one of the main learnings in, in social commerce is that Reaching customers through virality because friends bring other friends is can be very effective, but it's very hard to, to, to do that. And so we started actually using branch very early on to share, to let customers share links, to bring other friends to form groups and buy together. So we started solving for customer acquisition. We, you know, since the beginning, we saw good traction on that part. But the other problem that a social commerce platform like ours has to deal with is that our focus is the lower income consumers and they have very low willingness to pay for freight. Actually, the main reason for which they, most of them stay out of e-commerce is that they cannot pay for freight. They would rather walk a few kilometers to buy mm. at a lower price than pay, pay for, for shipping. And we solved that with pickup points. So we built up mm. a network of pickup points. Now in the nine cities where we operate in Brazil, we have 12,000 pickup points. So there are a lot of options for consumers to get their goods. And with those two issues, solved, the, the distribution through the links and with the low logistics cost, the platform started growing very fast. And, and we saw very interesting traction in the, in the in the last year, more, more or less. We closed our Series A in December 2020. And back then in December, we delivered more or less 100,000 orders in the month. 
And just to give you a reference, this last October 2021, we delivered more than 7 million orders. In oh my month. God, so what like an incredible growth. Seven, 70 times growth in order oh. orders delivered. So that's, that's more or less a, a brief summary on the growth in the, in the model. So if we take a step back, tell us a bit about what makes Facility different. How does the app actually work? And how did you build those like viral loops that help you grow like that? So maybe getting started with what is the, the opportunity that we are working on or the problem we are trying to solve? So if, if you look at many emerging markets, and Brazil and Latin America are good examples of those markets, the lower income segments are left out of, the, of e-commerce mostly because of their low willingness to pay for freight costs. You know, it's like the consumers in the lower income segments value less convenience and more price. Because in general, if you don't make enough money to buy everything that you want to buy, then you are very price sensitive as a consumer. So freight is, is very difficult. There are also some issues around availability of payment methods that, you know, in general, the lower income segments, for example, don't have so many credit cards and they are required in, in most e-commerce sites to, to make purchases. So with that as, a, as an opportunity, how to bring more of those consumers in the lower income segments into e-commerce, we got the inspiration, as I was sharing, from social commerce in China. And the inspiration, I would say, translated into a couple of building blocks in the model. First of all, focused on the lower income segments, we are always intending to bring the best possible prices to our consumers, mostly through disintermediation. So for example, the, the most obvious case that I always share is for producers of fruits and vegetables. If you look at the, the, you know, the value chain for a banana going from a producer to an end consumer, it goes through like three or four intermediaries. And therefore, the margin of each of those intermediaries, transportation costs, waste, makes that banana to cost eight times more for mm. the consumer than what the producer got. What do we do at Facili? <laughs> we connect the consumer and the producer and we help with the logistics. And, and basically, bananas are sold for a quarter of the retail wow. price. So this is one example, but it applies to a number of industries. So getting the lowest possible prices with this intermediation is part of the game. And finally, the distribution, What we because we can offer those low prices, we ask our customers to form groups to buy together. So if you want to buy the bananas at two reais instead of eight reais, as you would pay in a the, in the supermarket, then you can invite one of your friends or join the group of one of your friends to buy at that low price. And, and so that way, we aggregate a little demand for producers or for manufacturers, but at the same time, we kick off a vital loop for customer acquisition because yeah. there's a lot of customers trying to bring other customers. And as I already uh, it more or less mentioned, we have a network of pickup points for consumers. So instead of delivering to the end consumer home address, which is very expensive for a metrant, you know, last mile trip cost perspective, we deliver to pickup points and we don't charge flight to our customers. That's that's a little of what is special. And to the other part of your question, Madan, how we drove that viral loop, I, I, I remember the first time we met um, here in, in Sao Paulo, I, I, I was super excited when I heard that you were coming here because we were using Branch without actually knowing anyone from that's Branch. That's amazing. We were so far away and one of our engineers found your platform, got in touch with some people that globally were using branch. We learned a little and, and we set it up. The way that the virality works is more or less we 
Once a customer completes a purchase on the platform, they are uh, taken to a screen where they need to share with their friends an invitation to buy together. And that is most of the time this is done on WhatsApp. So they click on a, on a button and it generates a link that is a link tied to, to branch that is sent over WhatsApp to whatever number of friends this customer is inviting to. So when the friends get the link on WhatsApp, they click on the link and they are taken to the same product within our app to complete the purchase and, and complete the group. And so that is more or less how, how we use branch and the links uh, to form to form the groups. And the thing is, if one of the learnings from my time working with social media was that people are very happy and excited to share, consume content together with their friends. Let's say yeah. I have a nice picture to share. You know, yeah. so if people were happy to share, to consume content, People are even happier to share to make the regular purchases at a lower price. So the drive to share is the main accelerator for the virality. You know, if we offer a product that can only buy at that pricing facility, and we have tons of products with in that situation, people are super happy to share and bring their friends and benefit all together from this. This is a, a little of the long story on how yeah. the virality works and how branch is, is, is central in that. I mean, it's brilliant. I remember meeting you. I mean, it was more than two years ago and I was like, this is going to be big. I was so excited. I was like, this is amazing. I came back to the office and I was telling everyone we have this app in Brazil and they're using Branch in such a cool way. And it's incredible to see that it actually, you know, the way you build those viral loops, it worked and helped help fuel such a massive growth. What are the plans moving forward? You know, are you planning to go beyond Brazil what, how do you think about growth over the next couple of years? Yeah, so, so now the, one of the main priorities we have is getting the, the operations on track to continue to scale. Because, you know, it's, it's, we found it really viable, not to say easy, nothing is easy, but viable to sustain our growth rates because of this viral approach. We are an e-commerce company, so we need to deliver the goods uh, that we sell at that high speed. So increasing the capacity from an operational point of view is, is a lot harder. It's much, much more challenging. So we're now heads down, working super hard, increasing those capabilities and increasing the efficiency under which we can deliver the orders. It's not just volume, which is also, you know, it's already hard enough to increase volumes, but also deliver those higher volumes at an increased efficiency, meaning lower cost, better um, response times to get to the customers. So that's the main priority that we have. Once we have solved that, yeah, the next wave still this year um, involves opening more cities in Brazil. We want to be present in all major cities in Brazil. We have a logistics model that only requires a central warehouse distribution center in the main cities. And from those hubs, we can cover a number of smaller cities in the region. So it is doable and viable to cover all of Brazil. And still this year, we want to test both Mexico and Colombia for this approach. Yeah, it will be a test this year. We don't plan yeah. to to be aggressive in terms of expansion, but there are always many big learnings in each of the markets that we open. And so, so we want to see what are the learnings in those two countries. That's awesome. That's, I, I love that. That's a really cool. I can't wait to hear the learnings. I think as we think about branch, we're also thinking of expanding in some of those countries. So I'd love to learn from you. So, you know, it's interesting. Your journey was not, you're not like a serial entrepreneur. You worked at SAP and then Facebook and Instagram. Tell us a bit about your career journey and what, you know, 
finally made you make the jump into entrepreneurship? It's an interesting question, but I do have a multiple entrepreneurial um, experience in my career. It's just that it was very, very early in my career that, that I work as an entrepreneur. So my first experience was very early, even in my life. I, I was fairly young. I, I studied university when I was 19 years old, and, and I'm Argentinian. I was born in Argentina, and my dad had a small manufacturing company for construction materials. And it was supposed to be only studying, but it's very common in emerging markets to have people that study and at the same time they go to college, they work because mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of student loans in emerging markets. Yeah. So if you want to finance you know, your college education, you need to work at the same time. And at the time, my dad, and unfortunately passed away a couple of years later, I had to get involved with the with the small company that we had. And we had a, you know, it was a very sad period from a family perspective, but the business ended up doing incredibly well. We grew like five times in three years. And, wow. and it was mostly through, through new distribution channels, you know, very simple sales and marketing tactics that, that took the, the business to do very well. But then I graduated, I got a very good offer from one of the best known companies in, in, in the region. So the rest of the family stayed with the business and I moved to the corporate side. So that was experience number one, extremely positive from my growth perspective. <laughs> the other one was when I finished my MBA was I graduated, I got my MBA at HBS in 1999. I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly old founder. And if you remember, 1999 was the, the dot-com bubble. I so when, when I finished the MBA, there were a lot of funds offering funding to start a company. So I, together with one of my classmates from HBS and, and two other partners, we studied a company that was, is called Certan. It's still up and running, based in Argentina. And it was a software developer, software development company focused on infrastructure for, for payment systems for banks. It was it ended up being very niche. Now it's super hot with, with the growth of fintechs, but that was a very positive experience. Unfortunately the, the dot com crash and you know Argentina was was going through through some economical cycles that were not super positive for a company like that. And finally mostly for family reasons, my first daughter got born. I wanted to make sure that our children could, could attend good schools and clearly being at a startup without a lot of funding was not a, a good way. So I decided to go back to the corporate world, but it was like a, like hitting pause on the entrepreneurial spirit. So, so once, you know, the career was very well on track from a finance perspective, I, it was okay to take some risk again. I decided to come back and that was more or less the trigger to leave Facebook and start Facility. I love it. So I love it. It's like such an interesting story. And I think it just shows that, you know, you were an entrepreneur multiple on different ages. I think people sometimes, especially in Silicon Valley, there's definitely, I almost feel like a bias for like out of college entrepreneurs. But I think it's really interesting. You built a company, even though after you worked in corporate and um, what do you think made this successful? What do you think are things that you learned that helped you make this company so successful so fast? I think there are, there are a few elements that, you know, from the corporate world are super helpful, but, you know, in line with the with common intuition around, you know, ideal backgrounds. I think there were a number of things I had to forget, you know, unlearn from the corporate world to be, you know, more effective uh, at Facili. And I think the, the obvious positive learnings from the corporate world 
is that that it's I think it's easier to think big when you saw big companies performing well, and when you saw you know teams uh, performing effectively, and probably teams not working so effectively. It's like you learn the good, the bad, and the ugly from large corporations. Those learnings are super helpful. How to plan for the long term. But the, probably the most important element to unlearn that I think is, is the driver for the common intuition why a college student is so effective as a startup founder and maybe at a later career is less effective. I think it's, it's the normal tendency to stay close to the details. When you run mm. a big company, I don't know, some of the teams that I run had like literally thousands of people, you, oh. it's, it's very difficult to stay close to the details. You know, yeah. it's, it's difficult to hear what customers are saying about your products. You're, you're further away from what your partners are thinking of your product. And because it, it's like natural, it's like you, you, you need to take care of the teams that are working with that. And, and, yeah. and it's normal to prioritize time with the team rather than with the details. However, at a startup, if you, if you are not connected to the details, there's yeah. no way you can understand how how you add value, you know? well, why the world is a better place because if yeah. what you're building, if you don't hear from your customer, no, this, this is horrible or this is great, or that direct feedback on what's working and what needs to be fixed and what are the, the alternative ways to fixing it, I think was like the, the main unlearning. It's like if you are used to having you know, an assistant that takes care of your you know, calendar and and you know, filters what is relevant and what is not relevant. Maybe it's, it, you wouldn't have the intuition. For example, in the early days of us, they used to spend hours per day on WhatsApp with our customers. Hours. And you know, in, in, in the corporate world, yeah. you never prioritize yeah. that. However, it's critical, you know, without that. That's the only way not, you learn. Exactly. It's it's not about having people to talk to your customer. Maybe we could for we were very small yeah. back then. But we could afford, you know, a CX team talk to our customer. But that was not the point. The point is learning ourselves what is working and what is not working. I, I think that's been a very important element to build something that is fairly different from what is available in the market. I love that. And when you think about, you know, I, I get this question a lot. I started branch right out of business school. So it was like an easier jump because as you started something after HBS as well. But I found with, I meet people who have ideas and want to leave their corporate jobs to start a company, but they find it very difficult because you're in a corporate job, you have a lot of benefits. And what is advice you have for people who are considering doing this and they're just like worried about pulling the triggers? Should they start doing this on the side? Should they just do the plunge? What's your big piece of advice here? Yeah, I, I think building a company is extremely hard. It's super tough. Mm. And only because I, I went through the experience twice before, I, I think I was ready emotionally. So you knew. I, I remember having conversations with, with my wife before deciding to leave uh, Facebook. I Honestly, I, I had one mm. of the best possible jobs in Latin America at Facebook. It was a company I loved with a great mission, with great people. You know, it's like everything you could dream of a job I had there. And all of a sudden, I come up with this idea that, you know, maybe it's a good time to, to move. And it was like, no, it's crazy. I remember my mom didn't talk to me for a month after I left Facebook. As you said, this is crazy. What you're doing is irresponsible. You shouldn't be doing <laughs> wow. it. Now, so a lot of people, you know, would, would naturally have a tendency to stay there. And the point is that the job of starting a company, it's extremely tough. It's a drain 
there are so many times that things seem to not be working and probably are not working. And I think a lot of founders end up giving up because of you know the ability to deal with, with that part. I think having gone through the experience twice, I knew that it was going to be tough. And I remember the conversation with my wife saying, hey, this is going to be very tough. And I was like, okay, so let's do it. You know, we were prepared. So I think it's important to be prepared from the many angles that will be a, a drain to be ready for this. You know, making that jump, I think, requires probably, first of all, that, you know, your personal finances are in order. So you don't need to care about, you know, paying school for the kids. One of the examples of why I didn't continue back then working as a startup founder. I had to ensure that I could send the kids to, to a good school. And so personal finances, I think, is it's one very important variable. The second important variable is family support. In this case, my wife fully supported me in the worst of all time. It was like, don't worry, we got this. We knew it was going to be tough. You know, let's keep keep going. And and so so family support, I think, is very important. And the third one is the is the the own emotional uh, readiness. Mm-hmm. If we are not prepared to go through, you know, being on the brink of failing like several times a day, <laughs> and that you know sustain that for for a long period of time, then maybe it's not the right time to make the jump. But, it, but I, I think if those three are, are okay personal finance are okay, family supportive, and, and you can go through, um, you know, you have the, the endurance to go through probably one of the roughest periods in your life, then it's fine. If you're not so sure, maybe waiting a little more, getting ready a little better is more advisable. I love that. I definitely know people who have started companies without those things, and usually they quit because one of those. That's really awesome advice. This is incredibly inspiring, Diego. I think, you know, last question before we go into our quick round at the end, which is my favorite part. It's really around like measuring growth. How do you think, you know, we've talked about uh, your personal growth, facilities growth. As you think about both how you grow your company and how you grow yourself, what are like some things that you look at from a measurement standpoint? I think one, one of the biggest learnings on how to measure growth is that output metrics are horrible indicators of growth. So we Mm. could be looking at, for example, GMV growth, let's say an e-commerce company, you typically look at how much is this company selling? And, you know, of course, it's an output metric, so it's something that you need to look at. But, you know, measuring the effectiveness of a growth strategy has very little to do with GMV growth. It's actually the, the final result. I think mm-hmm. the, the most important result in, in a growth strategy what is how the drivers of that growth are evolving. Mm. So, for example, in, in our case, and again, going back to the importance of branch in our growth strategy, for example, the number of shared links that are being generated, it's a much stronger indicator of our evolution with growth than GMB growth itself because mm-hmm. it, you know we maybe growth you know in GMB is still happening because there's a customer base that is testing slowly and learning on the platform or adopting more and you continue to grow a lot. But if people are sharing less, then in that case that growth drive that is a real core of, yeah. of the long-term growth is not doing okay. So I think you know working on the on more of the input metrics, what is it that we can do to accelerate the business? And being obsessive on on how effective we are with those control and input metrics, 
is a much better way. Again, just as an example, the, the level of sharing happening in the platform is a better indicator of our growth effectiveness than, than GMB. I think that's on the business side. On the personal side, I think in general, growth is like learning, you know, when, particularly when you get old and I am getting older, you know, it's like you start looking for other indicators of growth. It's like, you know, I, can, I cannot run faster. You know, I try to run a marathon every year. So my, the speed of my marathon is getting horrible. You know, it's, it, it's like it, I, I try to, to improve, but it's very hard. It's like even tougher training doesn't get it. So it's like it's more about learning how to get better than actually to, you know, measuring other forms of growth. And I think working on a startup with a smart team, as we, we are lucky to have here at Facility with great partners that, you know, challenge us in different ways with different ideas. I feel I'm growing like every single day. And it's tied to that cycle, you know. I think that the day we stop learning, then that's the day we probably stop, you know, growing. <laughs> Wow, that's very inspiring, both on the personal side. I think on the, you know, you really gave me food for thought on the business side. I think, you know, you're right. Output indicators in many cases are too lagging and not necessarily uh, the right thing to look. They're more like things to look at. They're not ne- they shouldn't necessarily be goals, but maybe just like metrics to keep on top of, right? So I, I love the way you think about it. And I, as I think about my own marketing planning for this quarter, I'm going to keep that in mind. Well, Diego, this was super inspirational. You gave me a lot to think about and it's just been so inspiring to hear your story. But I, we usually end with three fun questions to get to know you better. Uh, so let's go into the lightning round. The first question is, if you had to delete all the apps from your phone and only keep one, what would you keep? WhatsApp. Should What's I explain up? why? <laughs> sure, I of should course. Keep, I should keep WhatsApp. I, that's how I get communicated with the world. I think with WhatsApp, I could substitute a lot of that. Probably, that, again, that's why we built the distribution model of most of Facily around WhatsApp as well. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that would be the one I keep. I love that. It's a popular one, but not as popular as I would think on this question. I think I've interviewed a lot of introverts who have, you know, reading apps. And... Do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? I think I have times on one side and times on the other. I think when, for example, when we started Facili, you know, it was so tough and, and, and we tried to find a solution that I, I became quite an intro. I used to read like a book per week. Because it was like we had to find a solution to this. But now that, you know, things are, are going a lot, you know, a lot, a lot better and, and now interacting with the world and learning from the world is more important. And I guess I am less of an introvert than, than before. I love it. Uh, how about an app that would allow you to speak to an animal? What animal would you pick? I guess I would love to speak to dolphins. I think they are super smart. Actually, they have a super sophisticated way of communicating with each other. So I guess I could learn some from that. They they form communities. They are incredibly effective at building communities. What, what, what the, the little I know of and how they work as communities, they even share about dangers. They they have fun together. Lots of things that I that I would love, and I think they are beautiful. I I love the sea, and you know the image of a dolphin in general is one of the, the you know nicest images we can get at the sea. I love it. And last one, what's an unlikely app on your phone that would help us understand the part of you that maybe you haven't shared yet? The one that comes to mind, particularly after the holiday season, is Jib Jab, that you can actually change the faces. And we have a very big family with my wife. We have six kids. 
So the typical wow. fun that we have when we are traveling or we're, we're spending a lot of time together, we start doing some videos and, you know, having fun with, with each other. And particularly as the kids get better at, you know, editing the videos, they, they do a funnier and better job on that. I, I would say that it's like the, the I, I never thought that I would get at this point in life <laughs> and I would spend like hours, you know, editing videos um, with, with, with awesome. my face on them. but. <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing. Six kids and a startup. Wow, that's really impressive. Well, thank you so much, Diego. It was incredible having you today. Thank you for your time. And I can't wait to continue watching Fasily's journey over the next few years. Thank you so much, Mala. Since the, the first time we met here in Sao Paulo, you visited us. You had so much impact in our in our strategy that this is this like closing the loop and getting the, you know an opportunity to chat again and share the progress with Mel since that visit. It's it's awesome. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.